The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five, a triple threat for big oil. How big wins for carbon-conscious investors has the industry back on its heels? A bit of a bubble. Big bank CEOs admitting the housing market may be getting a little ahead of itself, warning on crypto's sudden surge. Picking up the phone, the Biden administration and China holding their first phone call. Tensions rise as investigators look deeper into where COVID really came from. Also under investigation, the Justice Department opening a probe into the Archegos collapse with some big banks in its crosshairs. And see you later, Silicon Valley. Hello, Rocky Mountains. The big tech relocation could have huge implications. It is Thursday, May 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on a busy Thursday. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. We are seeing stock futures eh, not on the move that much. Dow futures down 25. I mean, I won't call it flat. They're in the red, but they are down. NASDAQ futures are off more, off about three-tenths of 1%, off 62 points. Right now, the Dow and the S&P are on track to snap two-week losing streaks, but the NASDAQ on pace to snap a six-month win streak. So bigger stocks maybe in the tank. Tech stocks may end that six-month run. Gold, though, continues to be golden. Gold continuing its move higher on pace for its best month since July. Gold flats may be slightly down a little bit right now, but still just under 19 bucks an ounce. And, of course, we've got to check the crypto markets because that has been the most volatile area of the markets the last couple of days and weeks. And we are seeing the move. Well, again, like futures, not that much of a move. Bitcoin up slightly, but at 38,910. Ether is at 27.73, up about 2%. By the way, Carl Icahn on the tape on Wednesday saying, though he's not invested yet, he is looking to get into crypto in, quote, a very big way. Something to watch from one of the world's biggest investors. All right, right now we'll get back to the markets and your money in moments. But let's get some of this morning's top headlines right now. Frank Collin is here with those. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to you, Brian. Top trade negotiators for the U.S. and China holding their first talks to the Biden administration overnight. According to Chinese, China's Ministry of Commerce, that's no word on any developments around trade, tariffs, or human rights, but the communication did say the call was, quote, candid, pragmatic, and constructive. The Department of Justice is reportedly investigating the collapse of Archegos Capital Management, which cost major global banks like Credit Suisse and Nuveen more than $10 billion in losses. 
According to Bloomberg, federal prosecutors in Manhattan have sent requests for information from some banks with ties to the investment firm. Unclear what potential violations or entities are being examined. And Amazon's Prime Day sales event will reportedly be held on June 21st and June 22nd, according to reports, as the e-commerce giant tries to get its summer sale back on schedule. According to the report, Amazon notified employees about the date, but asked them to keep the information confidential until the official release expected in the next few days. Brian, back over to you. All right, Frank, we'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate it. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money. And your first guest today says, while we are ultimately in a strong bull market, right now the biggest threats may not be inflation, but perhaps overtaxation and regulation. Joining us now is Howard Capital Management CEO Vance Howard. Vance, good to see you again. What do you mean by that? Hey, Brian, good morning to you. How are you? Um, well, I think it's pretty clear, though, you overtax the economy and you're going to start to slow things down. Overregulation is going to do the same thing. I think you've got to be very, very careful here with, with what's going on politically. I mean, we've got such a great opening coming with the, with the, with the economy reopening. The markets are looking good. The, 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 we're in a bull market. I just think that that, that can be the wrench that's thrown into the, uh, into the cog that can really slow things down. You know, ultimately, the long-term bull case, Jim Cramer and others have made this case, is that the idea that there's just so much cash out there. The stock market shrinks, buybacks, fewer companies, the amount of cash goes up, that if you want to be a stock market genius long-term, it's kind of not that hard. I mean, there are there, there are more buyers than sellers, ultimately. Yeah, well... They- he must be reading my newsletter because we talk about cash buildup all the time. That's one of the key things that we look at is cash buildup. Cash is built up on the sidelines. I think there's 3.1 trillion of, of, of institutional money market on the sideline right now. That's the same as it was back in March of 2020 during the height of the pandemic. There's a tremendous amount of cash on the sideline, and it's going to propel this market higher. Um, and there's a lot of great opportunities out there. I mean, tech has pulled back to the point that it's looking strong. Convertible bonds are looking good. But cash is the fuel that, that runs this engine, and there's a tremendous amount of cash on the sidelines to keep this market pushing higher for a long period of time. I see the S&P closing up another 4 or 5% before the end of the summer. Oh, wow. Pretty bullish view there. I mean, selling man, go away. I guess not. You mentioned convertible bonds. For government bonds at 1.55%, uh, number one, they're not really saying there's an inflation story coming. Number two, you're still losing money if you own U.S. Treasuries on, a, on an inflation-adjusted basis. Is that another reason to be optimistic on equities? Yeah, it, it, absolutely, Brian. But, you know, you think, look at the Treasuries, like T, TLT, uh, the 20-year Treasury, the ETF, it's just getting murdered this year. I think it's down like 13%. By the way, we own no Treasuries whatsoever, but we do own a lot of convertibles such as CWB. I think that's a better way to play the in- fixed income space right now. I don't see any really upside to, you know, the Treasuries where there's 10-year, 20-year Treasuries. I wouldn't own them right now. And if you start to look at, uh, you know, very high-dividend-paying high stocks or owning Treasuries, which one would you rather have? Well, clearly you'd rather have high dividend paying stocks. And that's what we're buying. And, and you know, we're also buying a lot, of, a lot of tech. Everybody's been sort of negative on tech, but we're not. We're very bullish on tech. You know, I was on another program and they were almost a little bit put out that I was so bullish. But, you know, the HCM byline is positive. And as long as it's positive, we've got a 74 percent chance this market's going higher. So any pullbacks of buying opportunity, I just don't see why you could be negative right now. You mentioned big tech. Pullbacks, investable, you, you think big tech is a buy here, Vance? 
I absolutely think big tech's a buy. I think big tech's always a buy. I mean, 38% of the S&P 500 is made up of big tech. So the S&P 500 is going to move higher. It's going to drag tech along with it. Vance Howard, we appreciate you kicking off the show for us on this Thursday. Vance Howard, take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. All right. Well, we are just getting started on a busy Thursday. And when we come back from California to Montana, why one huge tech firm is moving to the mountains, plus a big win for eco-minded investors when it comes to big oil. We'll speak with the head of Calsters about what is next for Exxon. And later... A big bubble warning from the heads of America's biggest banks. It may be both crypto and housing. Is it 2008 all over again? A very busy hour. The Worldwide Exchange returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Time now for your Thursday Big Money Movers. Three stock stories you got to hear about. Here we go. Stock number one. Snowflake shares down 4% despite the company reporting better than expected first quarter results and raising guidance for the year. Snowflake, also the latest tech company to exit California. It's officially going all remote, but says relocating its technical headquarters to Bozeman, Montana. Stock two, NVIDIA, record first quarter earnings. Sales jump 86%. NVIDIA boosted by continued demand for gaming and cryptocurrencies. Company expects revenue to top analyst estimates this quarter. Stock not responding, though. It's actually down a fraction. And stock three, retailer American Eagle. Results beat forecasts on increased spending by consumers with stimulus checks fresh in their pockets. That helped American Eagle to cut promotions, and they say sell clothes at full price. Again, stock not responding there, but year-to-date up 75%. Not bad. All right, on deck. This cybersecurity company played a critical role in tracking the hackers behind the recent Colonial Pipeline hack. Now they're ranked on the 2021 CNBC Disruptor list. CEO of Cyber Reason is here when we come back. Today's big number, 55%. That's where insider intelligence projects online grocery adoption in the U.S. will reach by the end of 2024. That's more than twice the level of 2019. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. 
Oh, welcome back. Wednesday may turn out to be a watershed moment for big oil, as three separate but important events all happened on the same day. First, a small hedge fund beat ExxonMobil in a proxy fight, scoring at least two Exxon board seats in its push for the company to become less carbon heavy. Second, in a first-of-its-kind ruling, a Dutch court found that Royal Dutch Shell, Shell is partially responsible for global climate change, and is ordering the company to sharply reduce emissions, that ruling could change the game globally for all oil companies. And third, a majority of Chevron shareholders rebelling against the company's board with a 61% vote in favor of a proposal to force Chevron to cut emissions. Now, one big force behind much of this is the massive California pension fund, Cowsters. They supported the hedge fund that just defeated Exxon, And after the investor vote, we spoke with Calster's CIO, Chris Ailman, and I began by asking him if he is satisfied with what he saw at Exxon and all the other news. I'm thrilled, Brian. This is a a major statement for shareholders and particularly for people that care about the climate and care about the future of this company. As big of a deal as this was, there may have been a bigger, less publicized trial or court ruling in the Netherlands around Shell. Basically, a court in the Netherlands saying that Shell is partially responsible for climate change and they're forcing them to up their climate and carbon change plans in advance. This, the Exxon ruling and the Shell ruling in the same day, not ruling, but shareholder vote in the same day. What does that tell you about the future of big oil, not just here, but globally? Brian, I think yesterday, Wednesday was uh, a landmark day for the planet. You also had an annual meeting at Chevron where their plan was approved, a shareholder plan, to make them address climate change more aggressively. It's a landscape day where, for the first time, the big oil and gas industry woke up and was told by its shareholders and by regulators, it better start adjusting and adapting to a new future of low carbon. Uh, The phrase I heard yesterday was more profits and low carbon, and I salute that 100 percent. So I think I think it was a watershed day, not just for us, but for all investors and for the planet. Do you believe that that is possible? Higher profits, lower carbon? I think these companies are smart. They're clever. They're huge, but they've got a lot of good engineers and they need to adapt. They need to recognize that they're energy companies. We're going to need some form of oil and gas, unfortunately, well into the future, but because it makes other products, lubricants and plastics and cosmetics. But they also recognize to be a dominant player, they've got to provide other forms of energy in other ways. And I think they can. I think the research and the efforts they've made in alternative fuels is going to pay off over time. They're the ones that really have to come up with a solution carbon sequestration, alternative energy sources, mm. uh, energy storage. These are the companies that are going to have to break new ground and help save the planet. Does adding a few new board members, does it make ExxonMobil more investable? The stock moved up 1%, a little more than the market, but it didn't exactly jump, Chris. Oh, I recognize that, but I'm an investor. You know that, Brian. You look at that stock all the way back to October, What a massive turnaround. We really engaged the company directly, quietly behind the scenes. Uh, Engine One went public, but we've been talking to the company and having meetings with Jaron Woods uh, since that time to really try and get their attention. 
a lot of shareholder proposals went at that company over the years that they have just rejected. But if you look back at time, really starting in about, I'll say January, you suddenly heard the CEO of ExxonMobil talking about carbon recapture, talking about the Paris Accord, talking about two degrees and one and a half degrees. That's huge. So yeah, I've heard the criticism that two board members doesn't change the mix. Oh, but wait, it does. It does because two of their old board members are off. The third one is still up for question, and that's going to be a powerful change yeah. if we can get all three on there. So is the stock investable? I own the whole market, Brian. I don't want to pick an individual stock. And because oil and gas is really important in the USA and in the world, I think it's going to be part of the indexes. So BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, ourselves are going to own those stocks well into the future. My goal was to turn that company around from heading straight down the yeah. pipe into the ground and to turn it around for a brighter future. And I think we started that on Wednesday. Are they the first or are they the only? Are they unique? You reference Chevron. You've got Occidental. You've got Marathon. You've got Hess. Is this a new model to go after other big integrated oil companies or is ExxonMobil really its own thing? You know, Brian, I'll take it in two parts. Shareholder activism. So you talk a lot about activists and we've backed a few of them and they have some gains and some losses. Shareholder activism, I think we've now raised the stakes and elevated that to a whole new level of teaming up with people who can really put on a proxy fight and a board fight. This was, CalSTRS has been in the background working with investors and other institutions talking about this. And there are a lot of global networks, Climate Action 100, pushing the mm -hmm. TFD, pushing SASB. We're behind all of that as part of the crowd. So I think that has changed and companies need to pay attention to their institutional shareholders. Is Exxon unique? They were unique in being an absolute laggard. They just it had stuck their head and stuck to the idea of drill, drill, drill. I think we're going to change that discussion in the boardroom mm -hmm. and then it's going to trickle down into that company throughout. Are they the only ones? No. Everyone is talking to big oil. The Climate Action 100 is engaging all of these companies. You said it, you own the entire market, okay? So are we going to get a Fed rate hike this year? Because if we do, I know you're not a day trader, but a Fed rate move is going to matter to you. Do you think we'll get a Fed rate adjustment earlier than planned? And if so, how do you ultimately adjust for that? What do you add to? What do you dump? Brian, you hit it on the head. Watching the Fed is the whole key. And I don't think it's a rate move that's going to scare the market at first. It's just letting rates drift higher and not doing anything about it. We saw that a bit in the spring when they didn't say much and Powell didn't say much about inflation and being worried. So I think the market's going to realize that. And, and I've said it before. you got to watch the bond market. U.S. interest rates are the key to the equity market. Whenever they do, they've got to reduce their balance sheet. And they did it before very slowly, but the markets have reacted negatively to that. So what do we do? Diversification. You can't be long just the stay-at-home stocks. You can't be long just big growth. Mm -hmm. You diversify around the world. So if you notice that this is last week, the, the world indexes hit all-time new highs where the U.S. is kind of being uh, toppish and not moving much. You diversify into other assets. Uh, and, and as we've done, you diversify into other strategies that are less correlated with global growth. All right, our big thanks to Calster CIO Chris Ailman, who joined us last night after that ExxonMobil shareholder vote. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, 
Are the GOP and Democrats really that far apart on infrastructure? Your next guest lays out why they may not be, despite some of the headlines, if you really dig into the numbers. And if you have not dug into our podcast already, what are you waiting for? Check it out today. Download it. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast apps. Dow Futures down just 24. And we'll be right back. Congress trying to take big bank CEOs back to the woodshed as six CEOs go back to the hill to defend their response to the pandemic. 40 years and nothing to show for it. A different big bank bailing on the United States. And your RBI is a big history lesson on the Dow. Do you think GE is the only original member still around? Nope. The random but interesting reason one St. Louis company needs to take a bow this morning. It is Thursday, May 27th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Is this the the calm before the storm? Well, maybe. Futures, they are steady. They're down just a touch off 25 for the Dow, 60 for the Nasdaq, a little bit more as we prep for the long Memorial Day weekend. But the prospects of a potential earlier than expected Fed move combined with inflation, they are certainly looming on the horizon. Right now, markets are steady. Big tech. One to watch. NASDAQ features off 64, but still heading into a long weekend. We'll see if the market wants to move ahead of it or just kind of wait it out. Let's check crypto. That has been the most volatile of all the markets the last couple of weeks, certainly. And we're kind of seeing the same thing that we're seeing with stock futures, which is not a big move. We are a little bit higher. Bitcoin still below 40,000, but up off its overnight lows nonetheless. Ethereum up about 3%. All right, around the world, kind of a similar story. We are seeing the European markets trade as well, and they are mixed. We're seeing France up a little bit, Germany and UK down. But do not lose sight of the fact that many European markets, France, Germany, Spain, we laid them all out like reading a globe for you yesterday, are also now at record highs. And you just heard Chris Aylman of Calster say, maybe the rest of the world is a little bit of a better opportunity than the U.S. right now. This is worldwide exchange because we talk about the world. All right, let's also talk about infrastructure. President Biden wants a nearly $2 trillion spend. The GOP, meanwhile, countering with much less, expected to send a reported $1 trillion counteroffer as early as today. But are the two sides really as far apart as they seem? Maybe not, according to your next guest. Let's welcome in Height Capital Markets Director of Research and Senior Policy Analyst, Benjamin Salisbury. Ben, appreciate you coming on, read your reports every day almost with keen interest. And you kind of lay out the fact that, you know, there's tricks of budgets in Congress. The way you account for money here or account for money there, it makes for a tough read, especially at 5.30 in the morning. But the bottom line (laughs) is the two sides may not actually be that far apart, are they? Yeah, and I would say, I would describe it, I mean, they might be that far apart today, but the bridge to get there is strong, 
right? So, um, you know, we're focused up to this point on raising things like corporate taxes or user fees, which are kind of bright lines. But the way this stuff is almost always done is partially including budget gimmicks or repurposed already spent funds, which will, we think at the end of the day, be much more amenable to both sides. And that's where you can get compromised beyond the sort of rhetoric that we have today. And also on President Biden's sign, he looks like he's making a big concession by coming down from over two trillion to one point seven trillion. But as you note, it may not be that big of a cut for him, because while you, you look like you're taking, call it five hundred billion off your offer, you actually just may try to fund that through other China <laughs> legislation, R&D, supply chain, et cetera. Right. It's, that's what I meant. You kind of you say, OK, I'm going to take it from here get the good headlines, but in reality, you're still trying to spend it, but just maybe in a different bill. That's exactly right. And I think that's one of the reasons the Republican had, Republicans had such a salty response to the president's offer last week was that, you know, the headline, they came down 550 and said, why aren't the Republicans meeting us halfway? But in reality, what they did was proposing removing funding for things that Republicans generally like, like R&D and manufacturing, and then just putting that in a separate bill. Um, so you're not actually reducing the total cost. You're just reducing the headline under which it falls. And that kind of thing's going to happen a lot. We should get used well, to that. But, I mean, but Ben, I mean, listen, that's politics 101. And it's kind of genius, right? It's like you want to spend $50,000 on a new boat. And your spouse is like, we can't afford 50 grand. You're like, OK, you know what? I'll spend... 40 grand on a new boat. Okay, that sounds better. Then you're going to spend 10,000 on the same boat just a year later, you know, and, and <laughs> sort of bring it in for the back. You're still spending 50,000 on the boat, but it just sounds better. I mean, that's kind of, by the way, both sides do this. That's kind of where we are with infrastructure. Well, I'm, I'm going to try that boat trick with my wife and we'll see, but uh, it works in Congress. Well, if you can get a boat, let me know because the best <laughs> boat is always somebody else's boat. How do you peg the odds, <laughs> Benjamin, of anything getting done? I mean, the market wants it. Many Americans, polls show bipartisan support. We don't want crap, sorry, crappy roads, right, and bridges and other things. What are the odds of something actually getting done? Yeah, so, A, the, this answer is going to change every day. But, you know, we think that there's probably more than a 65% chance of getting something done, give or take, by the end of the year. Uh, and that is simply because it is so essential uh, to the president uh, to, to do this. He's essentially going to take a lot of low probability shots on goal uh, until one of them goes through. And that's why we will, the pendulum will swing between bipartisan deal, reconciliation, Democrats only, bipartisan deal, reconciliation, Democrats only, until eventually you get to the point where they have something uh, that they can get through. So something is likely to get done, we believe. Um, but what that is, there's a huge spectrum of options. Well, keep, keep the, uh, the great reports coming, Benjamin Salisbury of High Capital Markets, because they are very good stuff and, and a must read, I think. Benjamin, thank you very much for coming on. Look forward to seeing you on your new boat soon. Thanks. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> have a great day. All right. Take care. All right. Something may get done. All right. Well, also happening in Washington, the heads of America's six biggest banks back on the Hill. As Congress looks to scold the CEOs on their response to COVID. Frank is back with the highlights. Frank. 
Hey, good morning again, Brian. Did you really expect anything else when it came to big banks on Capitol Hill? A lot of early headlines around this exchange between Senator Elizabeth Warren and the CEO of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon. Um, it's all over about all about overdraft fees. Warren calling JPM the star of the overdraft show, saying the bank collects more than seven times as much money in overdraft fees per account as their competition. Mr. Diamond, how much did JP Morgan collect in overdraft fees from their consumers in 2020? Well, I, I think your numbers are totally inaccurate, but we'll have to sit down privately and so go through these that. These are public numbers. And I also, I also want to point out we did not overdraft. Can, can you just account. answer my question? We, we how much did JP Morgan collect? How much, in fact, did JP Morgan collect in overdraft fees from their customers in 2020? Do you know the we, number? I don't know the number in front of me, but well, we, I actually we, have upon, the number in front of me. Upon it's request, one point four six three billion dollars. We waived the fees for customers upon request if they were un under stress because of COVID. But you could fix that right now, Mr. Diamond. Will you commit right now to refund one and a half billion dollars you took from consumers during the pandemic? No. But it wasn't just lawmakers looking to score political points. Housing was also a top concern, especially the rapid rise in home prices. No consensus among Diamond, Solomon, Gorman or Fraser about the state of real estate. I don't see it as a bubble, but I think there's a lot going on that's inflation that is inflating asset prices. And I think we have to continue to watch asset prices, watch watch inflation, watch monetary and fiscal policy, and hopefully the Fed will get the right balance. And if they do get the right balance, then it will turn out that, that there is not a bubble. If we don't get the balance right, there will be issues. Well, it is a little bit of a bubble in housing prices, stuff like that. Unlike 08 and 09, there there was tremendous leverage and bad mortgage underwriting. Here, there's not much leverage and much better mortgage underwriting. So it wouldn't be have the same effect on the financial system as we had last time. Not a bubble nationally. Certainly, some suburbs uh, look very frothy. Uh, the banks are extremely well capitalized to absorb uh, should this be a downturn. And if that wasn't enough, the group even weighed in on crypto. Bank of America CEO CEO's Brian Moynihan saying, his bank is keeping its distance from Bitcoin and the rest as it continues to evaluate opportunities. Citigroup's Jane Fraser saying they're taking a, quote, measured approach. Wells Fargo's Charles Scharf says his bank is nearing an announcement of a pilot project using blockchain technology. And the gang is back on Capitol Hill at 12 p.m. Eastern time today for a second day of testimony. Brian, back over to you. A second day of grilling as well. Apparently, Frank Holland. Frank, thank you very much. All right, on deck, the big business of keeping businesses safe from hacks. A CEO of CNBC disruptor Cyber Reason will join us next. And as we had to break, some other big headlines happening now. Nintendo reportedly released an upgraded version of its Switch this fall. Bloomberg says the new console will be likely to be priced higher than the $299 original. The SEC wants to protect small investors in SPACs. Chairman Gary Gensler told the congressional panel yesterday his staff is developing new rules or guidelines. We'll find out later what those may be. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Dow futures off slightly, Bitcoin up slightly, and we are back right after this. All right, welcome back. Why don't we hit a bonus round of some big money movers on this Thursday morning? Three stock stories. I guess this would be four, five, and six. Here we go. Walmart, 
is going to sell a line of Gap-branded home goods, things like bedding and pillows. Who knew? Walmart says the collection will start online but then move to actual stores in the future. Walmart and the Gap not really moving to Tesla. The Financial Times reporting the electric car maker set to start paying for semiconductors in advance as it looks to secure supply amid this continued shortage. Tesla also said to be exploring the idea of buying a semiconductor factory for the same reason, although that interest apparently is at a very early stage. Tesla stock down half a percent. And HSBC is pulling out of U.S. retail banking. The European financial company has sold some of its branches in America, while others will be wound down. Kind of iconic in midtown Manhattan. All those ATMs, looks like they will be gone. Well, cybersecurity has become a top priority for companies worldwide. I think the Colonial Pipeline hack proved that, didn't it? Some estimates say spending is closing in on $75 billion a year just for Internet security. And Cyber Reason is one of the big players in this fast-growing market. And it came in at number 32 on this year's CNBC Disruptor 50 list. A Boston-based company had been tracking DarkSide, company behind the Colonial Pipeline hack since late last year. The company's got a valuation of about a billion dollars. Cyber Reason's investors include SoftBank, Lockheed Martin, and it's becoming a major player in a space that is the number one IT spending item now at many companies. Let's bring in Lior Div. He is co-founder and CEO of Cyber Reason. Lior, welcome and congratulations on uh, the spot on the disruptor list, kind of becoming the Oscars of business in a way. How fast growing is your business? Thank you very much. Uh, we're growing very, very fast. Uh, cyber Reason uh, is a cyber security company. We're a new type of cyber security company that basically focusing and dealing with the most sophisticated hacks that exist out there. Right now, the industry is really disrupted uh, with hackers, specifically like the Colonial Pipeline uh, situation that we had two weeks ago. Uh, we were the one that tracked this group when they started. We found out what they are doing, how they are doing, and we knew how to stop them from creating any damage. So right now we're growing very, very fast. Uh, we have more than 700 people all over the world. And what are the companies your clients most concerned about? The, the, the Colonial Pipeline hack, Lior, obviously getting us a lot, a lot of headlines. I know they're concerned about cybersecurity, but take us a little deeper. What exactly are the, the bad guys, the hackers, doing? What is the first line or the first couple lines of defense? Yeah, so today what we see, we see kind of uh, an industry, and this is kind of the cybersecurity industry, is really still focusing on defending against kind of uh, the hacks that happened 30 years ago. I'm talking about companies like uh, Microsoft, Symantec, McAfee. What we realize, we realize that hackers can bypass all the mechanisms that exist today and basically can do whatever they want in any network. So we came up with a new approach we call the operation-centric approach. In this approach, we found the hackers and evolved faster than they are. Basically, the idea is to be able to find what their hackers are doing, how they're doing it faster than anybody else, and to be able to push them out of any environment. One of the things that we see that is ransomware become kind of the big uh, problem that we see all over the world. As I said, the Colonial Pipeline, this is just one example. They pay $5 million in order to get rid of it. But there is a solution like us that can prevent the hackers from doing what they need to do in the network. So basically, by going with us, uh, we're 
pushing those hackers. We understand how they operate and make sure that those companies out there can protect themselves against the new type and evolving type of hacking that exists today. How fast can you grow, Lior? I mean, how big is the ultimate market? Yeah, the total addressable market is just massive today uh, because we're not just talking about a specific industry like Endpoint or, or uh, Seam. We're talking about basically uh, hackers that are evolving. As they evolve, the attack surface is expanding. And as the attack surface is expanding, we have the opportunity to protect the full attack surface. I'm talking about everything from a specific endpoint, your PC, to the cloud, to containers in the cloud, to every processing power that any enterprise out there has. So our ability is basically to protect the full attack surface as entirety and to be able to see it from the bird's eye view and really to understand what's happening in each and every one of those computers. And if we see an adversarial activity, we know how to capture them, identify them, and push them out from the environment. Will there be more Colonial Pipeline hacks, not necessarily, Lior, with Colonial, but others or any other company? I mean, is this the beginning? Yes, absolutely. Right now, we see a, a growing uh, co- uh, campaigns from hackers. We were the one that found that Colonial yeah. Pipeline, basically, they're ransomware as a service company. So we track them and other companies. And right now, <laughs> those hackers manage to generate billions of dollars every year. As long as people are paying the ransomware, basically we will see more and more hack like this. Ransomware as a service. Uh, Wow. Maybe an unfortunate new designation. But Lior Div of Cyber Reason, congrats on the disruptor mention. Lior, thank you for coming on Worldwide Exchange. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, on deck, a little Dow trivia for you as the index marks its 125th birthday. So we're going to dust off your thinking cap and play with us a little bit in this morning's RBI. But of course, if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. A lot of you may be called back to the office. So if you're not going to watch us on TV in the morning, maybe listen in the car, in the podcast, on your way back to the office, download that podcast today, Dow Futures. They're down a touch, not much. We're back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing has to do with the Dow Jones Industrial Average. No, not the numbers or how much it's up or down. Real pros look at the S&P and other indexes anyway, but rather the Dow itself. Because yesterday was the 125th birthday of the index. Happy birthday, by the way. But here's some cool Dow trivia you neither asked for nor probably even wanted to know. But we're going to tell you anyway. The Dow was created in 1896. It was composed of just 12 stocks, not the 30 we have today. There are some of the names. And though you've probably heard that GE was the last remaining member of the original Dow 12, uh, like a lot of things you hear, it's not true. GE was just the last remaining member in the Dow until it was unceremoniously booted out three years ago. Now, 10 other members are long gone, forgotten companies like National Lead and American Tobacco. But there is one still around, and it's prospering. It's called Spire. The ticker is SR. Till just a couple years ago, it was known by its original name, Laclede Glass, a natural gas, a natural gas and propane distributor based in St. Louis. Get this, Laclede? It's been around since 1857. Yeah, 
the same company, one of America's oldest companies. Now, it only lasted the Dow for a cup of coffee just three years till it was booted out in 1899. But if Laclede or Spire was in there now, it would be outperforming about half the current Dow index this year. So you go, Laclede or Spire or whatever your name is. You probably, by the way, ran the gas to my mom's apartment growing up in St. Louis back in the 1940s and 50s. A little Dow trivia on its 125th birthday. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, let's wrap up the hour with one of our favorite guests, and that is Gary Firestone, Chairman and CEO of Aureus Asset Manager Management, CNBC contributor, halftime's real star. We know that, Kerry, but we won't get into that here. Um, forget about the Dow trivia. Let's get, let's get smaller than that. I love how you throw out some of these names on halftime that we never talk about. Booze Allen, <laughs> Waste Connections. I mean, are you looking down the market cap scope? for some unloved picks? Well, Brian, I love the trivia about the Dow, but Booz Allen and Waste Connection are solid companies. I mean, no pun intended about waste, but definitely mid-cap names that have been around for a long time. Booz Allen is one of the major defense contractors. Government contractor does a lot of work on cybersecurity. It's underperformed this year. The Biden administration cares a lot about the cyberspace. And, you know, we've had this big ransomware attack. I think this is a very, very hot time in that space. Artificial intelligence, you know, Booz Allen is one of the leaders. Uh, And we think that it's an attractive stock right here. Waste Connection, that's a business that last year, you know, suffered in that commercial businesses did not go to the office. And they didn't generate the type of business and volume that, you know, most trash uh, pickup companies would have expected. This year, people are coming back into offices and you're going to see price increases across the scale. I mean, they have pricing power in the trash business. Municipalities are doing pretty well because real estate prices have gone up and real estate taxes are up. So we think both of those stocks should perform well. They're to some extent reopening infrastructure type plays. And, and that's why I, I picked mm. them. You know, I also had large cap and some small cap names, but I like those too. Well, also speaking of real estate, I've heard you talk about Remax in the past as well. We talk a lot about the housing market being on fire. We don't actually talk about yep. who may be making money from it. Right, exactly. So Remax is one of the largest brokerage, real estate brokerage firms in the country, and they've expanded into mortgage banking also. And, you know, Remax is one of those companies that sells in the mid-tier. They're not at the upper scale and they're not at the lowest, but mid-tier, lots of volume in their business. And we haven't seen as much volume lately because there's a shortage of supply. And we know that perhaps as prices cool off a little bit, They'll, they will be more housing coming on the market, and we would expect that Remax and their brokers begin to do a lot more business. It's not an expensive stock. Again, it's been a reopening play to some extent, but it has legs to go. So, mm. again, in the smaller cap space, we like Remax. You know, yesterday's RBI talked about the, the overlap between Goldman Sachs's hedge fund VIP list and overweight mutual funds in the 11 stocks that were in both baskets. In other words, loved by mutual funds 
and hedge funds. A lot of them were financials. Some of them were payment companies. MasterCard and Visa were both on the list. I heard a stat, carry, and don't quote me on it. Something like for every home sold, like $50,000 additional gets spent on moving, sofas, new paint, whatever it might be. American Express was not on that list of 11 names. But if you like MasterCard and Visa, can you also not? I mean, you have to like Amex, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. So we bought Amex a few years, uh, sorry, a few months ago to some extent as a reopening play. The stock was a discount to the S&P. We haven't had any business travel, never mind any leisure travel. Amex really prospers when people start to travel, particularly overseas. They are, they're a bank so that they're exposed to interest rates moving higher. So that was a positive. We're starting to see a big pickup in in vacations and leisure travel. We haven't seen a pickup in business travel, but that is coming. And for that reason, we think American Express has a big runway. The stock has had a run recently, but AXP is a name that should continue to move further over the next year or two because that growth rate is accelerating. Visa and MasterCard, more consumer-based spending, and Amex, more business spending. And finally, one of the names that was on that 11-stock overlap, the hedge funds and mutual funds both love, you also like, United Health. Yeah, so United Health again, a little bit of a reopening play. Where uh, we had a very sort of growth-based portfolio last year, United Health was a name we bought because if you looked at the hospital and the type of medical cases that were seen last year, the typical case was way down. Lots of COVID cases are around the world, of course, and this country. So the UNH platform was not seeing the kind of business that they would normally. That started to change. Hospital visits, doctor visits, again, have moved toward, you know, mm. primary care, procedures, whatever people needed and was deferred should be yeah. happening now. And UNH, again, cheap stock. We like it a lot and exposed to the, the right growth areas in healthcare over the next two to three years. Well, we like you coming on Worldwide Exchange and CNBC a lot. Kerry Firestone, thank you very much, Kerry. Have a great day and a great long weekend. Appreciate it. You too, Brian. All right. Before we wrap it up today, a quick update on the big NFT auction we had for the famous Mark Haynes Calls the Bottom Token. It was a big success. And the winning bid, it went to our friend, billionaire and all-around good guy, Tillman Fertitta. He is now the owner of this once-in-a-lifetime piece with a winning bid of 61210 Now, all in all, we raised over 98000 for charity because we also auctioned off $37,000 tokens. Our thanks to everybody who bid on that and a great memory for our friend and late colleague Mark Haynes, especially Tillman, taking the top, but we would expect nothing less from him. Well, we will see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Sprock will start up after the break. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.